Hey everyone, I'm Christine Kane. You know, over the course of my ministry life, I have been asked literally thousands of times around the world if I can mentor women so that they can grow and they can discover their God-given purpose and potential and flourish in life and ministry. So I've committed this season of my life to setting up a program to really help to mentor, train, equip and mobilize women into their God-given purpose and potential. Now, my friend Tara Beth Leach and I have rallied trusted leaders and coaches from every sphere of life to develop a life-changing Propel Women cohort experience for you. You know, I can't tell you how pumped up I am with the stories that I get of transformation that happens when women have gone through this cohort experience. It is absolutely astounding to see and hear all that God is doing in their lives. So I'd love to have you join us for the next round of Propel Women cohorts, and it's starting really soon. So whether you are in ministry or whether you're a professional woman or a businesswoman or a pastor's wife, why don't you consider joining our next round of cohorts at propelwomen.org cohorts. Hi, friends. I'm Chris Kane, and you're listening to the Propel Women Life and Leadership Podcast, where we share faith-fueled stories from leaders all over the globe to help you fulfill your God-given purpose. I am so glad that you're joining us today. Let's dive in. Reverend Jeanette Salguero is pastor at The Gathering in Orlando, Florida, vice president of the National Latino Evangelical Coalition and director of the Carrion Hispanic Leadership Institute at Southeastern University. I hope you're as impressed as I am already. Now, she is a powerful voice on issues that affect Latino communities in the United States. Jeanette has provided consulting leadership for government agencies such as the Department of Health and Human Services, the Centers for Medical and Medicare services and the American Psychological Association around minority health disparities. She also served, if that's not enough, I want you to keep listening. She's also served as the Women's North American Commissioner for the World Evangelical Alliance. And more than all of that, can I just tell you, that is less than a third of really what is up there. She wouldn't let me put any more up there. But I also want to tell you, she is also one of my favorite human beings on the planet over the last year. We've become dear friends. And Jeanette, I couldn't welcome you warmly enough to the Propel Women's Leadership Podcast. Welcome, my friend. My friend, thank you. It's such an honor to be here. And Rachel, Rachel and I met a few months ago, and I absolutely fell in love with her. So it's an honor. Thank you for having me. Truly, I'm, I'm honored. It's a mutual feeling. Yes. Uh, and guys, you have not heard these two bantering before we got on. Now we're being very formal <laughs> because it is a leadership podcast. But Rachel and Jeanette, um, I'm not even going to tell you what they're wearing. Actually, what you see is fantastic. Um, but they were, they were bantering. But let me jump in because I'm going to get sidetracked here. Okay. Talk, let's talk a little bit, Jeanette, um, about the different hats that you wear. You know, your wife, mother, pastor, you're involved in policy and advising. And one of the distinctives I think about this podcast is we're trying to bring all things together and the human side of women in leadership because, uh, you know, you're advising governments, but you never stop being a wife. Yeah. And you are helping pastor a church, but you never stop being a mother. Um, so tell us a little bit about all of those different hats and how you navigate. And, and I'm, a, I'm a big mama bear. I love, I, you know, I wear, yes, I wear a lot of hats. I am the type of woman that when I get to heaven, I want my hair to be disheveled. 
that that's how God wired me. Uh, when God says, well done, good and faithful servant, I really want to be out of breath and with my hair just all wild because that's just who I am. So yeah, I wear a lot of hats. My favorite hat of all is being a wife and a mom to two beautiful boys. I'm a big mama bear. I am involved in everything that they do. If I have to say no to preaching engagements or, or invitations whatsoever, they are priority in my life. I also wear a leadership hat. I mean, I, you, you, you read an onslaught of just a whole bunch of hats that I wear within that leadership column. And that is a hat that I care for. Um, I cherish, I uh, make sure that it grows. I make sure that it honors God as well. It is a very careful hat that I carry um, in God and all of the leadership roles that I carry, pastoral, uh, you know, Carrion Center, consulting, etc. And then another hat that I wear, I call it my most dangerous hat my most courageous hat, and it's this justice work. It's this justice work. And that hat is a very difficult hat to wear. But you know what, friends? Um, I've learned in life. I'm 50 years young. I I, I feel good. I, You're a baby. I, I'm a baby. I'm starting off. I'm just now getting my groove, Chris. Come on. Absolutely. That's what I say. You don't even get in it till you're 50. Absolutely. Absolutely. So one thing I've learned now that I just turned 50 is I don't allow anyone to put hats on me. It's God and I. God and I choose the hats that I wear. So the hats that I do have on, although they're very many, I'm passionate about them because God and I chose them. Which is powerful. You know, I want to just ask this question. This is like a I personally want to know, when I uh, travel, particularly to South America, women are so strong and fantastic. Uh, It's my favourite place in the world to preach because just I I love the strength. There doesn't seem to be as much of a disparity between a justice hat and a ministry hat. So when you, I'm asking that question because you said perhaps one of your most controversial or contentious hats is the justice hat. Is that a distinctly, a distinctly controversial thing here in America? Because it doesn't seem to be that controversial to me when I'm in South America. It it really is. And you've brought a, a good point, Chris. What I've learned in terms of the justice work here in, in the U.S., is that a lot of churches do mercy work. And let me let me put this premise out there. There's a difference between mercy work and justice work, right? So if you if you give a fish to someone that is hungry, you get applauded and you are labeled as a saint and saints get elevated, right? But if you ask, well, why does he not know how to fish? Are there fishes in the pond? What structures perhaps may bring contamination into the pond? So when you think about that other side of mercy, which is the justice, it immediately becomes politicized. It immediately becomes politicized. And that's why I say that the hat, the justice hat that I wear takes a lot of courage because again, profits get killed. (laughs) And the fact is, I mean, obviously you're, speaking to the converter when it comes to me, you know, with our work with A21 and helping to, you know, reach those that are 
uh, vulnerable all across the world and to rescue victims and to restore survivors. Um, I would think that it's certain justice issues that are controversial because we seem to all agree that, you know, human trafficking is wrong and it's something that we should all be stopping. And so advocating for the poor, the marginalised, the oppressed, those that are most vulnerable to trafficking, that kind of justice work is applauded. But then there are some other things that are not applauded. Like, have you seen that in your work? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. One of the things that are not applauded is the refugee work that we do. Um, One of the many controversial controversial topics is the work with immigration. Um, Surprisingly, too, we have worked on criminal justice reform, we are against the death penalty. That's just my, you know, pro-life from the womb to the tomb. I am of that. I am of that person that believes that only God can give life and take it away. So there are topics that have become so politicized. And let me tell you, Chris and Rachel, I do justice work because the Bible commands me to do justice work. There are over 2,000 scriptures uh, uh, that talk about justice. And we see Esther and we see Daniel. We see Nehemiah doing justice work on behalf of the people. So I take seriously, regardless of the sensitivity of the topics, that I am to plead the case for vulnerable communities. You know, the, the Matthew 5 uh, scriptures, when, when the Son of Man comes, he's going to ask us a few questions. You know, did we feed the hungry? Did we plead the cause? Did we give water to drink to the thirsty? Did we clothe the people? Did we visit the sick and help them out? Did we visit the people in prison? I mean, I take this commandment not as a suggestion, but as something that is very serious. And I'm just glad that I'm allowed to do this work, that I partake in this work. You know, Chris, just a few weeks ago, we were meeting with a pastor and a pastor came by and said, hey, listen, you know that you guys, meaning Gabriel and I, you're misinterpreted a lot. And I said, I I, I understand that, I understand that. So let us reason together. You know, let us talk humbly. Let us talk with civility uh, to one another. When I was, when I was, uh, uh, the boys were young, I remember we were doing refugee work and immigration work. We were actually working on DACA and uh, we received a death threat, Chris and Rachel. We We received a five page letter And at the end of that letter, there was a picture of my husband decapitated. Now, check this out. Check how controversial some of these topics are. It was a picture of my husband's head decapitated, but the letter had not been mailed. The letter had been hand-delivered both to the church and to our places of work. And the threat became, it was, I mean, the cops came in, the stop, the cops stepped in and it was a viable, they determined it a viable threat. So we lived with detail for over two months. Wow. How old were the boys? The boys, John Gable was Seth, uh, John Gable was seven and Seth was three years old. It's inconceivable. It's incredible. 
Hey everyone, well, you know, without a doubt, the number one thing I've had to work on more than anything else in my entire 35 years of following Jesus is the battle that is happening in my mind. I'm one of those people that is very predisposed to obsessive rumination. And if I am not careful to take every thought captive to the knowledge of God, I can spiral down a black hole like anyone else. You know, people say, Chris, you have got so much of the word that comes out of your mouth. Let me just tell you, it is not any kind of legalistic man I'm trying to memorize just out of some rote thing. It is a lifeline for me. I have found that by digging into the Word of God and memorizing scriptures, it has helped to transform my mind and I am daily committed to the process of renewing my mind. Can I just say I know that I'm not the only one. So many of us struggle with this battlefield that we have in our mind. What I've done is I've put together a, a free guide of the scriptures that have most helped me, that I've memorized and that I go to again and again, and very often on a daily basis, in order to keep renewing my mind and bringing it into alignment with the Word of God. And so I wanna make this available to you because I know so many of us are struggling with our thoughts and we've just had a really, really challenging last few years and it's time to bring our thoughts back into captivity to the knowledge of the Word of God so that we can thrive and we can flourish in life. So head over to christinecane.com slash renew to grab your free guide and start renewing your mind today. So Jeanette, my kids are about the same ages that your boys would have been when you were when you were getting that letter. My kids are about that age right now. And I know my husband and I are also uh, co-pastoring our church and we're also a very justice oriented church. And, you know, something really interesting. I remember early on, um, we had this, uh, we had this situation that my husband was giving a sermon. It was during the last elections and simultaneously, uh, families on both sides, uh, informed us that they were, that they were leaving the church because they felt that the sermon was too political in favor of the other side. Now this is people yeah. in, on both sides and it's so interesting. And, and my kids are experiencing these things. My kids have come to me and said, why, why don't we spend time with these people anymore? Uh, my friend told me that, that, that my, that her mommy's not friends with my mommy anymore. And like that stuff, like cuts me to my core, like, like when your kids are involved and your kids are seeing it and, and they're so affected and, and my, my kids don't think anything of so many of the justice issues that like you're talking about, because that's all they've ever seen. But when they experience the repercussions of, you know, what their parents are passionate about, like it, I mean, I've lost, I've mm -hmm. lost nights of sleep over this. Like I have cried so many tears over my kids experiencing that. How do you as a mom, and, and a pastor and doing, you know, like civic engagement, all these things. How do you, how do you talk to your kids? Yeah, that, that's a great question, Rachel, because they have seen the good, the bad, the ugly in this type of work. And um, like I said at the beginning, I'm a big mama bear. John Gabriel and Seth are extraordinary children and they are involved with us in this justice work. Um, John Gabriel right now is working on mental health. Seth is an, Seth is an ambassador for peace in the state of Florida. Um, he was actually scholarshiped by the Miami Dolphins. So they are involved in this work. So they see it firsthand. They're living it with us. We 
ask the boys to have conversations with other kids, with other teens, with other children around them. What are they suffering with? What are they going through? What's going on in these kids' lives and how can we make it better for them? You know, a lot of people, Rachel and Chris, they pray, uh, Lord, let your will be done uh, uh, on earth as it is in heaven. Well, what does that really mean for us? And these are the type of conversations that I have with my boys. Boys, what does it mean that the kingdom of God is breaking in? Is it simply just for, well, okay, I'm going to get saved and I'm going to get to heaven and pardon my language and you can edit this later, but to heck they're hungry. Right. To heck if they don't have food on the table. The heck if they don't have what they need to get health care. You know, to me, that is not the holistic gospel. To me, that is not the kingdom of God breaking in, redeeming all things. And, you know, I agree so much and I can't understand why someone wouldn't want someone else to have that, particularly if you're a Christ follower. If I'm to love my neighbor as I love myself, well, everything that I want for my children, why wouldn't I want that for someone else's children? I want my children to be safe. Why wouldn't I want other children to be safe? I want my children to be educated. Why wouldn't I want someone else to be educated? I want my children to have health care. Why wouldn't I want someone else's children to have health care? It is stunning to me, we who ought to be the most compassionate, ought to be at the forefront of these things, I'm not sure why we, we would resist it. So, and anyone that knows me, I'm so passionate. Obviously, I run one of the largest anti-trafficking organizations in the world. I'm a global evangelist. So th- no one is wondering what I believe about the gospel and Christ crucified, buried, resurrected, coming back again. I am like old school in even the way that I preach and teach and am actively engaged in this world. What I could never understand is even when it comes to, people are good with evangelism. Okay, you've got to tell someone the Romans road, give them a four spiritual laws track or, you know, and I'm like, if they're hungry, yes, but are you giving them a track? Are you telling them the gospel at the same time? And I would sit there and go, when you go shopping at the supermarket and you are buying your groceries, are you giving a four spiritual laws track to the person? Or when you're going out and watching your movie, are you watching the movie or are you giving tracks out to everybody? Or why is it all right for you to have a life and you're paying people? But, but somehow we just think it's not Christian mission or evangelism or kingdom advancement unless I'm standing at a street corner. I could never put those two things together, like why um, you couldn't do it just because people should have food and people should have access to water and people should have, because that's the right thing. That's the gospel thing. So it is, I think we got very confused when it came to like evangelism and mission and justice. And we compartmentalized what is all together for the Lord in my thinking. That, that, that is, that is so true. You know, um, the Bible says in Philippians, esteem others higher than yourself. Right. So, so we as Christians, we ought to be asking ourselves on a consistent basis, well, what does it mean for me to esteem Chris higher than me right. or esteem Rachel 
higher than me. You know, there there is a verse out there in Luke um, 11. It's one of my favorite justice uh, 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 verses. And, and I love Matthew 25. I, I love, you know, Proverbs, Micah, you know, I told you what is good and, and, and to do justice and what the Lord requires of me. But Luke 11, 42 says, oh, what sorrow awaits you, Pharisee, because you're careful to give your tithes but you ignore justice and the love of God. I, Chris and Rachel, do not want to ignore justice. Yes, I give my tithes. It's important. The verse ends, yes, give your tithes. It's important. But do not neglect the more important part, which is to do justice. And somehow, some way, Many, many, and, and, and even friends of mine that I love dearly, they've taken on an approach of warfaring and winning arguments and, and, and being right. And, and frankly, you know, if, if, we, if we study contention in the scriptures, it comes from pride. And this is, for me, this is my theology and have how I've exegeted this justice work that I do. I want to do it like Jesus, and it's very invitational. Jesus said, whosoever will, it's not, it's not an imposition. It's, it's, it's not a robotic kind of a gospel that says you need to do what I'm telling you to do. And you need to believe what I'm telling you to believe. I, my premise is love and it's very invitational, whosoever will. Well, totally. And I mean, the scripture tells us that Jesus of Nazareth went about doing good. I mean, this is not complicated. And I only think you can only argue and sort of, you know, get on social media and have all of these contentious, divisive arguments if you don't really have proximity to people. People often say to me, Chris, you know, why as a leader, you know, you're a global leader, why are you not out there arguing? And I'm like, Wow. Do you not think if I if I say something without thought, I have 19 offices in 14 countries, something I say here could have major ramifications for somebody else, one of my other offices in Cambodia or in Ukraine or wherever I might be. And I'm going, you obviously are really not up close and personal with real people, real hurting people, real broken people, real needy people, because if you were there is no way you could sit behind a keyboard and argue about what is a true living human being. You know, my own birth certificate doesn't have a name on it. It says child's name unnamed, oh. number 2508 of 1966. So, you know, and numbers. So we throw stats, whether it's about, you know, refugees, whether it's about world hunger, uh, whatever it might be. But numbers are numbing and numbers are dehumanizing and numbers are desensitizing. It is so easy to ignore suffering when it's nameless and faceless. And I think those of us that are in the trenches, it's not nameless and faceless. There is no number. Every person is created in the image of God and worthy of God-given dignity and God-given value. And how much more should we who profess to be followers of Christ be at the forefront of wanting justice for all? 
And, you know, because of that great love. Now, I'm not saying situations aren't nuanced. Of course they are. I were, you know, it's, it's when I've got people on my team that, are, you know, and you have officers in Ukraine and Russia. There's lots of nuances around the world. And, uh, you know, that, and, and so I understand that. I, and none of us in this conversation are saying there aren't larger geopolitical considerations. Uh, but we are saying, you don't dehumanize people and people are valuable and behind every number and every statistic is a human being and nobody should value human beings, I think, more than followers of Jesus. That That is so good, Chris. That, that is absolutely wonderful. It's it's the Imago Dei. Yeah. It is the Imago Dei. It is the premise in Genesis that God created us in his likeness and in his image. And when we start labeling and dehumanizing and demonizing the other we've missed we've missed the point we 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 entirely missed the point which is why i recommend you know i consult a lot with a lot of different churches on community development and justice work and i always recommend to congregations that ask for help and to learn more about this start with mercy work with true mercy, start with mercy work. Because when you do mercy work, you start talking with vulnerable populations. You start hearing their stories. I do not recommend people to jump on to the other side of the coin, which is the justice side, until you get the pulse of what it is that the people are in need of. Until you get to know and love them, truly love them. Because it is from that love, you're seeing the Imago Day, And in that love, then you're able to plead their case. So Jeanette, you have so many different people, just different, different people from so many different backgrounds, so many different areas of the world that you interact with. And one of the things I know is that we, it's almost impossible to not carry your culture into your Christianity. We all carry with us preferences and biases and cultural experiences into every single room that we're in. And so when you are, when you are consulting with people about how to get started, how do you recommend that people learn to identify what is culture versus what is Bible? Like what is the culture and the, and the unconscious bias that they're carrying in versus uh, what is scripture? So how, how do you coach people in laying down that bias? That, that is such a great question, question, Rachel, because sometimes justice work is co-opted. It's hijacked by politics, right? I, I said earlier, when, when I do justice work, and, and, and I say that I am pro-life from the womb to the tomb. I am not saying that because it's a political topic. I am saying that because it is, a, it is biblical. It is a gospel agenda. And some way, somehow, we've meshed both what scripture says and what politics and what culture says, and it becomes very obscure. And it's as simple, Rachel, as opening up the scriptures. And 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 just to be clear, we may agree to disagree based on hermeneutics, 
Right. It, based on hermeneutics, we may interpret verses very differently. We may interpret immigration verses very differently or pro-life verses different, whatever, whatever it may be. Right. But we have to come together to the table and dialogue, you know, justice work. And, and, and I, I have to I love the scriptures, which is why I'm constantly quoting scriptures for me is, is the end all be all. It's the final authority. Right. Micah 6, 8 says, I've told you, O man and O woman, what is good and what the Lord requires of you to do justice and to love kindness. So you don't do, you cannot do justice without kindness, because if you do justice without kindness, then what we are is just angry activists. And the verse continues to love kindness and to walk humbly with our God. So when I approach a congregation, when I talk about justice, the foundation of justice is kindness and humility. And, and that is that is that is an essential element because, you know, what makes me different than just an angry activist is the kindness and the humility with which we approach conversations. And let me just say this, and I'm sorry that I'm just so passionate about this. <laughs> we love that Latino passion, I'm please. I'm so <laughs> passionate about this. A lot of people have approached me and say, why? Why do you uh, lead with Latinidad? Well, number one, I don't lead with my Latinidad. You know, I am a female Latino person, but there is a, a great scriptures in Revelation 7, 9, that the Bible says from every tribe and every nation, we shall be before the lamb. So God does not obliterate our culture. God does not obliterate that I am a puertorriqueña, caliente, mamacita, madre. You know, I come to the table with who God made me to be. And I am not ashamed of it. And I speak from it and to it from my lens with a different perspective. So obliterating, you know, who I am within my culture as a Latina, then I don't allow that as well. And I say that as a passionate Greek woman. I'm like, are you kidding me? Not at all. I love what you say that the difference between, you know, an angry activist and a someone that loves mercy and kindness because I've been doing this work for 35 years too. And I think those of us that stay in the long haul and are still full of the fruit of the spirit, love, which you, if, if you have to throw out the full, f the fruit of the spirit so that you can be an activist, then you're not doing God's activism at all. So that, you know, so I think that's um, other people say, well, you know, you all ought to be more contentious. And I'm like, we still have to lead with the fruit of the spirit. That, that if that's not being built in our life, then it doesn't matter what cause I'm espousing somewhere I've lost Christ in all of, in the midst of all of that. And, I know we have to wrap up. Uh, we are going to get you back on. I can tell you already, but um, I, I do. I think this is really important, and because it affects not just churches, it, this affects dinner tables, lunch room, lunch rooms. Um, but the reality is, and I'm really intrigued as to I don't know how pastors are pastoring in this hour, but there is so much contention, uh, so much polarization, so much division around political issues. And I guess if we're pastoring right, it means we've people we've got people on both sides of the aisle sitting in our pews every week. Um, there are people 
on both sides of the aisle in um, our kitchens, in around our, our dining tables, um, lunch tables. So let's talk a little bit about that, um, how you and Gabe, how, how are you managing that and how are you finding that? And obviously you're passionate and unapologetic about the things that you're passionate about. How does how does that work then for someone that's sitting at a table that isn't yeah. passionate about the same things? Yeah, that's so good, Chris. You know, um, we are pastors here in Orlando of a beautiful multicultural congregation. And um, <clears throat> we have a midweek service. We have a midweek service. Happens every Tuesdays at 7.30 p.m. It is not streamed. No phones, no recording is allowed. We open it up to the community. We open it up to other congregations, to other pastors and other leaders. And for three years, we have been doing this. And what we do is we talk, we teach, but we listen a lot more. And we talk about all types of topics. And you have to hear the questions that rise up every single Tuesday. It's gotten to the point that churches, pastors from other areas are coming on that, that midweek service. We sing maybe one song and we say, everybody open up your Bibles. Let's dialogue. Let's talk. Let What are your questions? What are your worries? What are you pondering about? How can we learn from each other? So we are dedicated to dialoguing, to teaching, but we're more dedicated to listening and not just listening. You know, we call it empathetic listening. You know, when did we stop listening to each other? When did we take on the role of labeling and judging? When did we stop dialoguing and reasoning together? I have, you know, even within my congregation, we have Republicans and Democrats and independents, but we sit, we are committed to sitting together every Tuesdays, year after year, to dialogue and open up the scriptures and do the wrestling together. Our, our values, if you, if you go to our church website, some our values, we demonstrate kindness to all people. We learn how to follow Jesus together. Our third one is we live sent lives and the last one is we preach the gospel clearly. Those are our core values. We repeat them consistently to every member of the congregation and everyone who visits us. So that's what we've been doing, Chris and Rachel. This is not yelling across the aisles. This is, this is rolling up your sleeves and doing the work of love on a weekly basis. And I think that's a beautiful, doing the work of love. <laughs> I think you just summed up pretty much what this whole thing is about. And justice ultimately is that it is work, the work of love. So I can tell you in advance, Jeanette, we're going to have part two, three, four, and five of this at some point. <laughs> we are so grateful. I thank God for your witness. I thank God for your friendship um, and your leadership. I've learned so much and continue to learn so much from you. I am so, so grateful. So thank you for joining us today. And um, wow, what a conversation. I'm going to be thinking long and hard about so much in this. And 
for all of our listeners, Jeanette's details are listed and tagged in the description of this episode. So I want you to connect with her and to keep up with her further. And she's about the only woman on earth that can talk faster than me. So I recommend that you do that. So uh, for our listeners, every one of you, we, we appreciate you. We love you. And I want to just thank you so much for joining us here on the Propel Women podcast. And we'll see you back right here next week. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are so glad that you chose to hang out with us on the Propel Women Life and Leadership Podcast. You can connect with us at propelwomen.org or on social media at Propel Women. Remember, you can find details on today's episode as well as some small group discussion questions in the description of this episode. We'd love to hear from you. So be sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, and we'll see you back here next week.